Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, that's good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. (laughs) What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is James P. Friel. Today we have a very special guest, good friend of mine, uh, who I'm thrilled to have on the show, and I will introduce her in just a moment. As you guys know, I am uh, sentenced to life to do this podcast with somebody who I don't care for very much, but he's here anyway. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dean Holland. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this love-hate thing's really thrown a wedge between us now, hasn't it? Well, it's, uh, I think it has a lot to do with this contest that we're uh, pitted against each other now. There is Um, no contest. I've already won. We just haven't realized it yet. I was being polite, Dean. (laughs) So uh, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Dean and I are taking on a challenge. Uh, We're going to be writing a book in 30 days and it's going to be judged. And whoever, uh, whoever gets the best book obviously gets bragging rights. but, uh, but also a publishing contract and free 1,000 copies of their book to give away. Ooh. Yeah. So, uh, so Dean and I, uh, you know, we're barely able to contain ourselves right now in terms right. of the I've got to be honest. I can't think of anyone better to beat in a competition than you. So I appreciate you uh, at least showing up and taking part. Well, your standards are set high, and I appreciate that. And so, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think we both know that you'll lose. So in any case, um, <laughs> speaking of people who write books, today we're welcoming Julie Stoy into the show. Julie is um, probably one of the fastest writers I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, she she literally just like as fast as we can record a show, she'll probably write three books. Um, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I'm really not kidding. And besides the fact that she's a fast writer and uh, actually a very, very good writer, uh, she's an extraordinary funnel builder, has taught uh, thousands and thousands of people how to how to create funnels of their own. She's one of the coaches in Russell Brunson's Two Comma Club X coaching program. Um, just an all around great person, great friend of mine. Julie, welcome to the show. I am so excited and just a little bit nervous to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. So you should be. <laughs> can, I, can I just jump in and ask, because James, you've said this two times now. That's twice in like just a few minutes, you said, Julie, a very good friend of mine. Julie, do you have the same opinion or is James just kind of one of those guys that hangs around a little too much? No, I no, I consider James a very good friend, actually. I, I feel like I hit it off with him immediately and I was completely crushing on his sense of humor. And that to me is like one of the greatest personality traits of all time. So I find him a bit yeah. dull. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's definitely dry humor. It's like it's it's the dry wit. It's it's not the slapstick. But Dean, you should know that, right? You're from England. Everybody's dry over there. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Dean, Dean's just grasping at straws, trying to come up with something right now, and it's totally. <laughs> totally. So, uh, <laughs> so that notwithstanding, Julie, um, 
you're, I think you represent for me, somebody who has just totally pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and created something amazing out of what other people would have considered, you know, very difficult and devastating circumstances in their personal life. Are you, are you willing to share a little bit about your story before you became the Julie Stoyan? Um, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my story is a little bit like the young and the restless meets Jerry Springer. And and I didn't, I really didn't mean it to be that way. I had a really pretty straight laced growing up and um, in my twenties when everyone else was, you know, going to college and sowing their wild oats, I was popping out kids like one, two, three. And so I had sort of my my crisis of whatever adulthood <clears throat> much later than people <laughs> should have it. <laughs> I actually really don't recommend you do it once you have three children. Do it when you're 16. Um, and and I just had a whole series of traumas from from critical health issues to some really gnarly and dark moments um, with family relationships, and my little perfect world just kind of came crumbling down, and I ended up. Uh, divorcing my husband in 2014. I had three children and I had done everything by the book and I kind of snapped in that moment. And of course, what do you do when you snap? You you go on Tinder, right? (laughs) No. Um, I ended up in this situation where I got pregnant accidentally uh, four weeks into my divorce proceedings. And it was this moment of like fall from grace for me that I had, had all these things happen to me and now this, and now I had three kids depending on me. I had, I was newly pregnant with a fourth and I had no assets. I had no retirement, no career. I had been a stay at home mom. And, I, and, and that was like my oh shit moment where I thought, I have no, like, what am I going to do? And that's when I started on the entrepreneur journey. And it's funny because most people join, become entrepreneurs for the freedom and they say, hey, it's really risky. I actually joined it because I decided that entrepreneurship was the most secure thing I could ever do because it would be putting my financial future back in my hands instead of somebody else's. And so even though it's risky and there's highs and there's lows, that was my aha moment was that I was the only one that was really going to take care of me and I needed to do something about that. And so that's when I became a marketer. I found Russell Brunson and I just... I literally did everything I was told. I'm a really good student. And so I just bought his stuff, did what he said, bought more stuff, did what he said. And I made a lot of money (laughs) really fast. So it was amazing. And I'm like indebted to Russell and everything that he has done because it really was the first time in my life someone gave me a set of tools that said, here, this is how you go build that house for yourself. And, And it worked. It was amazing. And I'm, and I'm sure, you know, the, the tools are absolutely extraordinary and, and everything like that, but chances are good that had you not had those circumstances happen to you, um, you wouldn't have even been looking for those tools though. So I think it's always, you know, a combination of, you know, where am I in my journey combined with the right tools, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs like floundering around and I feel like the pressure cooker situation that I was in actually made me 
accelerate faster because I had absolutely no time to do anything that wasn't revenue generating. Uh, I, I was not distracted by shiny objects or weird tools or all this like extra stuff, um, content strategies when I didn't even have a funnel yet. I was so, it was like, what can I do to get a paycheck this week? And so it forced me to stay on that path of revenue um, you know, creating that revenue. And I think that's why I succeeded so fast because a lot of people, if they have money, if they have a husband or a wife who's, you know, paying the bills and then they kind of just lollygag their way through the journey. Of course you get there, but I just got there, I think faster because of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, and this is what, you know, this is one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show because, you know, we, we've got, uh, you know, we've had so many, such a variety of amazing people on the show. And, you know, everybody's got a different story, but I think sometimes people look at their circumstances and they're like, you know what, it can't get any worse than this. I'm going to throw in the towel. Mm -hmm. And, and you're such a, such a great example of somebody who had that situation. It can't get any worse than this. There's only one way to go and that's up and that's forward. And so for, for you guys listening who feel like, you know, there's, there's no hope there's, you know, everything is just super, super bleak. Um, I just encourage you to, you know, think about Julie's story here and, you know, all the things that, um, you know, she went through and I love what you said, Julie, like your back was up against the wall. And so you just, you just made it happen. You allowed yourself to not get distracted on any level. Uh, I think that's super amazing. Yeah. And, and you know, I, it's a lot easier to tell the story than it was to live the story. And so I don't ever want to make light of it. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of teary moments where I just, I wasn't able to be with my kids because they were with their dad because I couldn't afford the house in the school. And, you know, it was traumatic, but, but that, that was the grit behind it. And, um, and I'm actually now grateful because I didn't fall into a lot of the pit holes people fall into because I was so focused on the prize, you know? Mm. Well, I, I, for me, I, you know, I, I relate to that because it's, it's honestly, it's a lot easier for me to pe- tell people that I do the podcast with Dean than to actually do the podcast. With <laughs> <Dean>. <laughs> and I'm hoping, I'm, you know, hoping from the bottom of my heart at some, at some point in the future, it gets easy and I can laugh about it. <laughs> Just not quite there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, I, oh one of the things God. I like about the story is how, you know, I, I do think that a lot of people hit rock bottom before they they do what it takes. And like like you say, you had your your back up against the wall. Uh, I know you was expecting me to say something witty and ridiculous here, James, but I'm actually talking like real stuff for a second. Um, like a lot of people that we work with and that that I've seen and, and come into contact with, like I just wish they would do the work. You know, like something that shouldn't be shocking that you said is like, I bought this stuff, I did the work and I got results. And it's like, why don't more people do that? Like, why don't more people do the work and make it happen? A lot of people I see, they don't do the work until they hit that rock bottom and then they start to actually do something. So I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things is I've noticed a lot of people love to build businesses in in the closet and in a vacuum where nobody can criticize them and they don't have to like put their ideas to the test and see if they work. And it creates that satisfaction, that, that dream that's like stays alive. And then you become protective of the dream. And so you stick that dream in a bubble and Mm. you don't actually do anything because you're so afraid of that dream coming crashing down. And I think for people whose dreams have crashed, 
like you don't have that fear anymore because the worst thing that you feared already happened. So, mm. so you might as well just pick your boot, you know, pick yourself up by your boots and keep going. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think in that way, um, hitting rock bottom is a gift. Agreed. I have, uh, I have a little coin that I got from, uh, from a guy that I met who, uh, who's a billionaire and he lost a significant amount of money and then started rebuilding it. And, um, he had this coin and he gave, he gave one to me and on the front of it, it says never be intimidated by failure. And on the back of it, it says never be awed by success. And I love, and I love it because for me, it's, you know, the, the, the money, the success, like all of it is, you know, you can control as much as you, uh, as you can, obviously. Um, but at the end of the day, we have really, really limited control over a lot of things, except for our attitude and our actions and our thoughts. And I think when we get way too excited about creating, you know, this, this giant success, then we almost become uh, slaves to that. And at the same time, when we become excited about it, and then there's that massive fear of loss and that drives us in weird ways too. And I think, um, you know, what, what's been so helpful for me in this topic, because I, you know, things came crashing down for me, uh, you know, years ago also is just, you know, being good with you. Like, I think that's the number one thing and making sure that you're feeling like, okay, no matter what happens, like I'm okay with me and I don't define myself by any of these external circumstances. Yeah. So easy to say, not so easy to do, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, so, so, so shifting gears, uh, away from all the feely stuff. Okay. Yes. Right. James (laughs) has one emotion and we've used it and now we're moving on. (laughs) My emotion is exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) James just cried one single tear of blood. One tear. (laughs) (laughs) The first time I told him my story, I just have to say this at a restaurant, we were at a restaurant and I told him my story and I told it with much a lot more gnarliness that I don't think we have enough alcohol for today. <laughs> and he looked at me completely straight laced and said, I am moved. And I knew that like that really <laughs> meant that meant he was moved, even though like you couldn't really see the emotion on his face. <laughs> <laughs> I can just pick it as well. <laughs> yes. Laugh it up. Okay. Um, all right. Sorry. So changing gears. Yes. No. So, so changing gears. I, I, as you're telling your story, I'm actually wondering, you know, you, and I, and I said this at the beginning of the show, but you know, you're, you're a great writer and you know, you, you write books and content at such an alarming rate. <laughs> I think like literally, like I've seen you write like, you know, 10,000 words almost in like an afternoon. And I don't even really think that's even an exaggeration. Do you, do you think, like, do you think that this came from because you did have your back against the wall and you were just like, I've got to make this happen. And you just sort of develop these habits of like instantly executing, like, how does, how does somebody write and produce content as fast as you? I think that's what I'm really trying to get at. Well, I, I actually, I've had a, a fair amount of practice. I, did a couple things back when I was a stay-at-home mom and you know I had three kids I was bored out of my mind I was like the number one student in my class in college and I was just like this classic overachiever stuck in dirty diapers all day and I you know I just didn't know what to do and so what I did was I started a blog 
and I started writing and then I got really into it. And then I started joining these writing challenges online and it would be like, Hey, you try to write a novel in 30 days, you know, 50,000 words. And then I went on this hundred thousand word challenge where I would write 5,000 words a day until I hit a hundred thousand words. And, and I would just, just write. And so much of it was just complete crap, but I learned how to write massive amounts really like as a daily habit. And that's ultimately where I learned it. And in terms of like churning out a 10,000 word like booklet in an afternoon, that really just comes from immersing yourself so much within your topic that it comes, it just kind of comes out, you know? Hmm. Dean, is that similar to the uh, the finger painting challenges that you had done? <laughs> Indeed. I, I find myself doing 96 finger strokes per day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you knew that about Dean. He's a master finger painter. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's big. It's big in the UK, or at least in his household. Yeah. Abstract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, I just have really, really inappropriate mental pictures of you finger painting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, they'd only be inappropriate if they weren't true, Julie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really not a very sexy answer. I wish I could just say, hey, you know, if you read this book, you'll learn how to churn out 10,000 words in an afternoon. But, like, it was really just the habit of writing for about seven years straight. <laughs> well, yeah. And I, you know what? That's a That's a totally valid answer. And that might not be the answer that everybody wants to hear. But it does seem to be the answer that everyone who's really good at something shares. Yeah. <laughs> Consistent practice on improving what you're doing and just, you know, not stopping. Yeah, no. And, you know, you see it in athletes all the time, right? And I was the world's most unathletic human and I didn't ever do it in sports. But I, but in the skill of writing, I feel like I'm an athlete and I'm a, a good competitor in terms of my speed and accuracy with which I write. So that's, you know, kind of my superpower. Yeah. You said, you said something else that I want to, um, I want to sort of talk about for a minute too. The, uh, the fact that you, you know, a great, great student in college. And I, I, you know, I was also, and I went, you know, went to college, I did all the things and wound up becoming, you know, really disillusioned with the career that I had built for myself mm. as a result of having gone to college. And recently, just in the last week or two, I read that in the U S 9% of college students have to go at least one day without food. Wow. And, and that was absolutely remarkable to me to think that not only are they accumulating massive amounts of debt, which I did, um, but on top of that, they're having to sacrifice basic things like eating. And in some cases, uh, I think they said 36% of them were ha what they call housing insecure, which means they don't actually really know where they're going to live. And they're doing all of this to get out and get a degree. And I'm just like totally blown away by how antiquated the thinking is in that entire system. And I didn't know if you had any thoughts on the, you know, like you did everything the, the quote right way and that didn't get you what you wanted. And then you shifted and made this crazy turn to entrepreneurship. And like, can you just like kind of give me your thoughts on that? 
Yeah. You know, I'm really conflicted about the whole concept of college. I'm currently trying to save for college for four kids. And every day that I think about that and try to make that financial, you know, planning happen, I think, am I doing the right thing? Like, is college even the right thing? I mean, you know, and there are benefits to college that I see that like, you know, when it comes to, you know, a broad education and the art of research and all that kind of stuff. So like, I don't think that college is all bad, but at the same time, the system is so broken because of how much debt people are racking up. And the fact that the average person who graduates, I I graduated with a degree in clinical psychology and I couldn't do a damn thing with it unless I went for another five or six years and and racked up another 150,000. And then what, become a school psychologist and make $80,000 a year? I mean, like what, what planet are we living on? This is completely backwards. The problem is that if I follow that train of thinking too far, then I get nervous because I'm like, oh shit, I got four kids. I got to figure out how to turn them all into entrepreneurs. And that feels a little, a little scary to me. Um, but I, but I think like, I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, that's the move though. I know, you know? I know. It's like, it becomes like, it becomes the ultimate opportunity switch, right? It's like that method doesn't work. Traditional financial planning, traditional jobs, like this is where you move um, and you burn those bridges. Even now, it's so ingrained in me, the traditional model that there are still like little threads of like, fear in me that I, I have to grapple with because I was, it was just drilled into my head that if I don't go to college, I won't be financially secure. And I graduated in debt and spent the first 10 years of my adult life in, in massive debt with no career. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm, I don't know um, if it's the same way over in the UK, Dean. Um, but that's like, that's a crazy, those stats to me were absolutely crazy that I read about here in the U S. Yeah, that is insane. I mean, I can't really talk too much about, to it because I, I left school at 16 and just started work. Um, so I, I was, I was just a bum. I mean, I went, (laughs) I went without food too, but that was only so I could buy more alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Like I've, I've never under, like, like my, my limited knowledge on like college and education stuff is like, I can only see a purpose in it if you're passionate about doing something in life that that requires. Like if I wanted to be a veterinarian or a surgeon or something along those lines, I'd know I'd have to go through those paths. But like what I saw, if I look back, was tons of people just kind of chose a path because they felt like, oh, I should choose a path and I have to go Mm -hmm. that path. And where I was on the other hand, I was like, I've got no idea what I want to do and I'm not going to be forced to choose something. So I'm going to go and make some money. And I started just working in just, yeah, granted, like crappy jobs, but nonetheless, like I'd rather have been doing that making money than just choosing something because I felt, oh, this is the time in my life I now have to make a choice for the rest of my life. And um, rather like, ironically, like I've not kept, I've not, I've not kept in communication with most people from that stage in my life, but the couple that I do know are actually just kind of like. I mean, disrespectfully, but kind of not doing anything really meaningful. They're not doing anything they went to college to do with. And they've ended up in like a really crappy situation where they don't actually still know 10, 20 years on what they're doing with their life. So it's like, yeah, well, oh. you, I mean, I think you'd, you'd be what we'd call like a non-compliant personality type Dean, right. <laughs> where, where, you know, the, the society puts out a, a, a rule or an idea and you say, 
no, actually, I don't think that's a very good idea. And you just go on your merry way. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all need a little bit more of that attitude. We all need a little bit of Dean in us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) There comes that R rating again. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) Tips, folks. Um, Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the, you know, and this for me ties into what you're doing right now, Julie, and maybe, you know, my... My advice would be just to take your children and put them through your programs. Yeah, um, <laughs> good, good call. <laughs> right, like it's not like you don't know how to teach this stuff to people. But it's James. It's different when you have to teach your own children who think that you're the most unexciting human ever. <laughs> yeah, you, or you can operate like I do, which is like a dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. Like. And just be like, okay, this is what's happening. You know, and you want to go to college, that's amazing. And I went and I had a great time, but it didn't really like, you know, propel me in the direction that I ultimately want to go. But if you want to go, that's awesome. But but you're gonna pay for that. And I suggest that the way you pay for it is actually by starting a business that can fund it for you. You know, um, I I feel like this is the point in the podcast where we we um announce that James is running for president because I feel like a dictatorship might work here if James were at the top. <laughs> only, only a benevolent dictatorship. Yeah. I go entirely the wrong direction. So uh so so speaking of, you know, like teaching people. You know, one of the things that, you know, you're known for in the, you know, ClickFunnels community and the entrepreneur community is actually helping people take their ideas and turn them into a funnel that produces money, like just like what you did. And, and I have such a respect for, for you and for people who, who teach this to people who haven't started. I, I have a personally, I have a very difficult time teaching people who are at the very beginning because I'm incredibly impatient. Mm. but you have the patience of a saint and, and you figured out a way to take somebody from like, who's not really doing anything yet, except they have a really cool idea and helping them turn that into a business. Can you, can you talk a little bit about how you do that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think this is where my, my parenting and the fact that I spent a lot of years not just raising little kids and teaching them how to do things like read and write and wipe themselves, but also I taught piano lessons to six-year-olds for about a decade. And the amount of painstaking deconstruction you have to do with a concept to teach a child to play the piano, to me, like it really taught me the art of teaching something. Cause you know, you got to teach them how to read music, how to use their left hand, how to use their right hand, how to understand like up and down in the alphabet and in intervals. And then you had the pedal and it was like so many moving parts and pieces that when I got into the funnel world, I started doing the same deconstruction that I did with six-year-olds to the people who were like, Hey, I just walked out on my teaching job. I'm 55. I don't know what a sales funnel is, but I want to have an online business. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have to like, and so I, it's, it's really about just breaking things down into the mo- the smallest, most manageable piece you can possibly do. And then, and then moving forward um, from there, step-by-step in a real logical way. All right. Well, so, so give us some tips though. Okay. Um, okay. Like high, high level, what are like the major phases that somebody might go through in order to get from uh, I got to reinvent myself or I want to reinvent myself, whatever the case might be. I have this idea to <laughs> the other end 
where they make a million dollars. Good question, James. <laughs> Wait, you, you want me to explain that now in like the next five minutes? <laughs> well, I already talked about how fast you can communicate ideas. So I, I think five minutes is too long too. We'll give you three. <laughs> okay, so I I actually like the people who have they don't even have an idea yet. They're easier. The people who have ideas usually their ideas suck. <laughs> so the people who have no idea, I I literally say, okay, listen, online business. This is the easiest way to do it. The first way is to sell a deliverable, sell something tangible, a skill. Right? Here's a website. Here's an ad. Here's a funnel. Here's a something. Once you're able to successfully figure out how to sell a skill, not only have you made money, but you've also learned the skill enough to sell it. Then you can move on to what we would call the one-on-one phase where maybe you want to do coaching or consulting or you want to do some sort of info product. You're selling your brain, but you got to make sure you can sell it to one person, then sell it to a group. Eventually, once you've got it to a group, now you can consider selling to the masses where you're creating a course, you know, something that's completely scalable and passive. And then from there, you can go into things like memberships and events. So I always start with that path and I'm like, all right, you need a skill. You know nothing. And if you're going to ever make it on the internet, you need to know digital marketing. So let's pick a digital marketing skill. Let's learn that skill. And then let's sell that skill. And that usually gives them enough money and enough momentum to keep going. And then once they learn the skills, then they come up with ideas for coaching programs and courses and all this kind of stuff. And then they can transition in because now they have the skill. I find people who come to me and say, I want to I wanna teach a course on on how to ride a horse and I don't know what a sales funnel is. I'm like, well, can we put that idea on hold for a few minutes and let's go over here. Um, and so that's usually what I do because, um, once you start making money, you get that hit of dopamine. You realize, oh my gosh, this works. I can do this. And it usually sets them up to not quit. I do like, I do like that approach of, you know, nothing that has to change. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the thing is, like, people come into the online space and they do have ex. Everybody has a talent. Everybody has an expertise of, of some kind, whether it's you know piano or horseback riding or gardening. But like monetizing that idea, uh, like on day one when you have no followers and you have no like credibility online and you have no idea what a sales funnel is. I, I try to, and some people listen and some people don't. And I say to them, listen, if you are just dead set on selling a gardening course and you don't ever want to be a digital marketer, fine, but you need time and you need capital because you're going to have to either pay for marketing people to help you launch that, or you're going to need the time to learn it first and then launch it. So just know that, know it's going to be at least a year or whatever. Um, and and then they're like, oh, well, I need money faster. I'm like, oh, okay, why don't you build some sales funnels first? And then they do that. And then, you know, so I usually can convince them. Not always. <laughs> well, one of the things that I like about that approach is I feel like people who haven't been an entrepreneur have this idea in their minds that, oh, I want to have, you know, I, I have a great idea and I want to start a company. And they think like, oh, how can I be the next Facebook or how can I be the next Amazon or how can I be like one of these like giant companies? And that's like the distance from where you are not starting to one of those companies is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like ridiculous. But you know what, what you're doing and like you called it like the deconstructing into all these small pieces is really giving people like the steps that they need to take in, and, you know, any one of these people can eventually continue to go and start one of those, you know, companies. I, you know, it's my belief that you can do that, but you do have to start somewhere. And I love this concept of starting by refining a useful skill and providing value 
and letting things start to snowball after that. I mean, it's it's crazy because even if you are not, if you don't want to make a career out of being a digital marketer, you're going to need all of those skills to launch your business. And unless you've got some, you know, business loan or sugar daddy with a hundred grand so that you can like, you know, do it the old school way and seed it that way, you have to bootstrap those skills yourself anyway. So it's not lost. It's not, it's not a rabbit trail. It's a necessary trail. Um, it just has a few, you know, extra milestones along the way before you get to your ultimate destiny. And chances are, if you do it this way, you actually never launch your original idea anyway, because you realize <laughs> that it wasn't very good to begin with. <laughs> um, Dean, when when does your contest launch to become somebody's sugar daddy? I know you've been working on that. Where can people go to apply for that? Applications are currently being accepted, but I don't like to tie myself just to the singular sugar daddy. I'm I'm all out there. I'm ready to spread myself far and wide. Yeah, oh you're God. a polygamous yeah. sugar daddy. Yeah, and I'm going to fund my uh, my finger painting venture. Oh my gosh! <laughs> See how things come full circle on this show, Julie. Yes, it's it's, it's, it's magical. Around. Yeah. <laughs> I sense a tiny bit of sarcasm. When <laughs> I don't know. I just, Dean, you have an ad running on Facebook right now of you, like your head propped on a body. And I right. just, I just keep picturing you in that stance, finger painting. Um, and then I add sugar daddy on top of it. And I just am having a well, This is the magic with my ads. You see, you've already started to imagine me, you know, taking things one step further, but you won't have to actually imagine much longer because if I actually get my own way to do this, I have a whole series of retargeting ads coming soon that you will start to see if you've seen that one. And with each ad that follows, one item of clothing is removed. It's just, it's not flying very yes. well with the whole Facebook compliance thing. I, I, I heard of this. It was like a legend um, from yesteryear. Mm. And I thought, is this mm. really going to happen? And how do I mm. make sure I get on his retargeting yeah, it, list? I'm trying to make it happen, but <laughs> it's not looking very positive. Although I do have one that is going to be positive, and that's me literally laying a golden egg. Okay. Look out for that one. (laughs) Okay, we'll do. (laughs) Well, I uh, I can't wait to get on that list, Dean. You're on that (laughs) list. Ah, lucky me. Um. So, uh, so Julie, let me ask you this. I know we're uh, we're about out of time here. Actually, I think we're a couple minutes over. If somebody wanted your guidance on how to, you know, go from, you know, wherever they are to creating something that actually produces income for them. How can how can they find out more about what you do? Yeah, they can go to the digital gangsta with an A the dot com gangsta. and <laughs> a proper gangsta. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so there's a masterclass there. And I take you through basically I go through a bunch of students who, you know, all had ideas and I, I talk about some who had good ideas for courses, some who decided to do the skill first and kind of the process that I take people through. And then of course you can pay me lots of money at the end and I can uh, personally help nice. you. Nice. <laughs> and then you can basically tell them uh, both digitally and in person, uh, leave your stupid ideas at the door. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're not welcome. Like, I, I, feel like I, I feel like I should have reworked attend. that pitch. You can join me on the masterclass, <laughs> then pay me obscene amounts of money, and then I'll tell you that you know nothing and you suck. But it's okay, because then we're going to rebuild you as something amazing. I'm all about, I'm all about expectations. You know, I'm like, I'm the anti, I'm the anti, like, um, I don't know what it is, you know, the people who 
do the selfies with the beautiful with the beautiful life. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen, <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay because we're going to rise from the ashes. I like it. That's amazing. So for you guys who want to get in touch with Julie, um, you know, the results that she's created, not only in her own life and business, but also in, uh, you know, many, many other people have been absolutely extraordinary. Go to digitalgangsta.com. With a um, duh in front of it. With a duh in front uh, of it. Okay. My apologies. No, okay. You're not listening. That's right. <laughs> I'm still thinking about you laying a golden egg. I, I wish that had never mm-hmm. gotten into mm-hmm. my sight. When you think about that, I'm going to stare into your eyes while it's being laid. <laughs> That's one of the most disturbing things I think I've ever heard. <laughs> so uh, go to thedigitalgangsta.com uh, to check out what Julie's up to. Uh, Julie, I really appreciate you being on the show here today, uh, mostly for putting up with Dean. I know it's not easy. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I just really appreciate <laughs> you doing that. I, um, I'm really happy that you guys asked me, and I'm really glad that. Um, it didn't go off the rails because <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, James Dean and me in one room. Not really virtually could be really interesting. <laughs> I think we did well. We got through this. One. I think we stayed on right. track in, in, in crazy. Yeah. I think part of the reason I'm cutting the show off now is because I know it's headed in that direction. Really fast. If we keep going any longer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we'll just, uh, we'll leave it at that. Dean Holland, any last, Parting words of British wisdom. I think I'll just leave it with laying the golden egg. (laughs) I think I'm done for today. Awesome. Well, with that, Dean drops the mic and the egg, and we will see you guys. (laughs) Thanks. Bye, guys. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com forward slash autopilot. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.